What is discipleship? What's it mean to make disciples? Whose disciple are we supposed to be? Whose disciples, like who, who should we be making disciples of? You know, it's funny. Uh, I had a friend who he goes to a smaller conservative church back home and um, he, he was doing like a discipleship weekly with one of the leaders of the church. And, uh, you know, I asked him like what, the, what the purpose was, like what was discipleship? And he kind of shared a little bit and, um, and then, uh, you know, talked about like their discipleship plan that they do, um, you know, as somebody is becoming an elder and things like that. And, uh, this morning I was just led to a passage in John and I thought we would talk about it. So, uh, let's get started. Well, apparently the video is not going to play, so we're just going to roll from here. So what does it mean to make disciples? Jesus in the Great Commission said to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what did he mean when he said make disciples? What, is it, what does that actually mean? So in the role of the Christian church, oftentimes what we hear is that uh, our role is to go and get people saved or help people get saved, things like that. Um, but we don't often talk about what dis making disciples is. Uh, I've heard people use phrases like discipleship being important, right? You got to disciple people. You got to help them uh, learn how to become disciples. Well, interestingly enough, I don't hear them talking about that. You got to learn how to help people become disciples. Uh, I hear people talking about discipleship programs, right? Like uh, maybe somebody at the church who's further along on the journey um, doing discipleship with someone who's maybe uh, younger in the journey. You know, they're newer to the path. Uh, so they're trying to kind of help them come up in the in the way and understanding of, of Christ and, and perhaps the, the theology of the church, right? So um, I noticed today this passage in John that I was drawn to, and I thought it's really the epitome of how making disciples begins. So I thought we would dig into that this morning. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to share my screen and we're going to dig in. So <clears throat> this is John chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 35 through 51. And uh, I'm reading from the message, but uh, oh yeah, I, let me say this just so I don't forget. Uh, but the whole goal of Bible Study Live is not to, you know, preach at you or tell you how you're supposed to think. It's to get you to think. It's to get you in your Bible to wrestle with this stuff. Uh, we're not always going to agree, but we're not going to argue about it and battle over uh, theology stuff. Um, so what we are going to do is try and create some conversation without condemnation. So uh, that's what we're digging into. So um, I'm reading from the message today. If you read from the NLT, NIV, New King James, ESV, uh, New American Standard, it, Amplified Bible, it's all good. Uh, those are all good translations. Um, you can even be reading from the King James Version if you like to speak like Middle Earth or whatever from The Hobbit. It's fine. Uh a little harder to understand, and and there are some translations that I would argue maybe are a little clearer than others, maybe paint the picture a little better. Um, if you don't know what version of the Bible to read, I, one one version that I encourage you, if you're a studier, deep studier, is the NET, the New English Translation, because that one, uh, all the footnotes are actually translator notes, so it helps give you a, uh, an idea of what the translators were thinking when they made translations and why they translated 
a certain way. So it's pretty pretty darn cool in that respect. Uh, Berean Study Bible is another good one for that. But anyways, let's dig into John chapter 1. Let's take a look at something Jesus did, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about what that means. So uh, John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was back at his post with two disciples who were watching over, who were watching. He looked up and saw Jesus walking nearby and said, here he is, God's Passover lamb. The two disciples heard him and went after Jesus. Jesus looked over his shoulder and said to them, what are you after? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He replied, come along and see for yourself. They came, saw where he was living and ended up staying with him for the day. It was late in the afternoon when this happened. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John's witness and followed Jesus. The first thing he did after finding where Jesus lived was find his own brother, Simon, telling him, we found the Messiah, that is Christ. He immediately led him to Jesus. Jesus took one look up and said, you're John's son, Simon. From now on, your name will be Cephas or Peter, which means rock. Actually, it actually means like rocky, but anyway. Um, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. When he got there, he ran across Philip and said, come, follow me. Philip's hometown was in Bethsaida, the same as Andrew and Peter. Philip went and found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote of in the law, the one preached by the prophets. It's Jesus, Joseph's son, the one from Nazareth. Nathaniel said, Nazareth, you got to be kidding. But Philip said, come see for yourself. When Jesus saw him coming, he said, there's a real Israelite, not a false bone in his body. Nathaniel said, where did you get that idea? You don't know me. Jesus answered, one day long before Philip called you here, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus said, you've become a believer simply because I said, I saw you one day, I'm sitting under the fig tree. You haven't seen anything yet. Before this is over, you're going to see heaven open and God's angels descending on the Son of Man. Uh, excuse me, descending to the Son of Man and ascending again. Whew. There are lots to unpack in this this morning, to be honest, but it's good stuff. Some pretty amazing stuff. So I just want to pull up something really quick uh, and... Uh, then, then we'll dig in here. Um, but, uh, boom. Okay. So, um, there are a couple of things I want to point out in this section from John chapter one, when we talk about like what it means to make disciples. It's interesting because when Jesus was walking and John's disciples came after him, they said, where are you staying? Jesus says, come and see. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother runs off and says to his brother, basically, Come and see. We found the Messiah. And then uh, if they get to Galilee and see, they see Philip and Jesus says, come, follow me. So come and see. And then Philip runs and tells Nathaniel what's going on. Nathaniel's like, uh, is this even possible? And what does Philip say? He says, come and see. So it's pretty crazy that like a lot of times uh, in the Christian church today, we talk about um you know, the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And, and we confuse that with go and get folks saved. Go and uh, go and um, lead someone to the Lord. Uh, like, and, and when we say that, we say like lead them uh, 
to, to salvation. Um, I, I get the privilege and honor I have for the past few weeks, and it's really been a blessing to go into um, the jail ministry with a couple guys from our church. And man, it's amazing. And one of the gentlemen shared a, a story about leading somebody to the Lord. And, and, um, and he was referring to salvation. And now, by the way, um, listen, uh, it's good to help people come to know Christ, right? Um, but Jesus never said that we were on a mission to, to save people from hell. Because that's what he did. That's the work he did. We can't do that. If we could do that, we wouldn't have needed him. Our mission is to get people to realize who Jesus is so that they can come and see for themselves. So they can make a choice to follow him. But something stood out to me in this uh, come and see conversation today. Uh, and, it, and it stood out big time. And when Jesus said to Nathaniel, one day, long before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, why is that significant? Because <clears throat> we think, you know, is it like, like in The Chosen where he's just under there drawing a picture? Uh, is, it, is it like he just saw him one day and remembered him and thought to himself, that guy's going to follow me? Well, maybe. But the interesting thing is what the fig tree represented. Like during Solomon's reign, um, uh, the, the fig tree was an indicator, a representative. It, it represented uh, national wealth and prosperity. Um, it also uh, was kind of a symbolic of Israel itself. Like uh, it was a, a symbol of health, uh, both nationally, like health of the nation of Israel. And it was also a symbol of um, spirituality, spiritual health. And physical health. That's what uh, it talks about in Hosea nine ten. So the fig tree was was representative of of being spiritually and um, spiritually healthy, as well as uh, prosperous. Now, knowing that, let's look back at what Jesus said to Nathaniel. I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you. I saw you spiritually healthy. I saw you. Uh, prospering in that way. See, it shifts the entire perspective on what Jesus was saying to Nathaniel. When, when Nathaniel's like, <laughs> where'd you get the idea that there's not a false bone in my body? Now, remember, Jesus has been seeing like these Pharisees who have been talking about God, but they haven't been living the way God says. So there's a lot of falsehood in their witness. And here's Jesus saying, there's not a false bone in this guy's body. And Nathaniel's like, how do you know that? And Jesus is saying, because I've seen you prospering spiritually in a spiritually healthy way. That's also what this could be saying is he said, when I see, I've seen you under the fig tree, I've seen you healthy spiritually. I've seen the way you live. That's probably a better way to say it. Uh, it's like a, met a metaphor for saying, I've seen the way you live, Nathaniel. And I like it. And it's funny because Nathaniel goes, whoa, you are the son of God. See, why would he say that if he just said, oh, you saw, you saw me sitting somewhere. And when Jesus responded, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel says, whoa, you are the son of God, king of Israel. He's, it's, it's, to me, and this is why it makes sense that I think that he was speaking, um, using a metaphor when he said, I saw you under the fig tree. It's because uh, just to be sitting there would make no sense. But when Jesus says it, if it represents 
um, him being spiritually healthy and prospering in that way, then it makes more sense for Nathaniel's response where it's like, whoa, you're the, it's like, whoa, you can see into my soul. Whoa, you see that you see where I'm at with God. Like, wow. How could you possibly know where I'm at with God? How could you possibly know that I'm on this journey, right? And it's funny because I love Jesus' response is, oh, oh, we become a believer because I say, I saw you one day sitting under a fig tree. And it's funny because first that when Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree, which had very big significance. But then after Nathaniel's like, oh my gosh, you are, you're him. And then Jesus is like, and then Jesus words it in a way that it's like, as if he was passing by. And so I'm sitting under a tree. You simply, you become a believer because I say, I saw you one day sitting under a tree. You haven't seen anything yet. And it could still work even if Jesus is talking about him spiritually. Uh, but he says, before this is over, you're going to see heaven open up and God's angels descending on the Son, uh, on the son of Man and ascending again. So here's the thing. As I read through this today, there's so much going on here. It's nuts, right? Like the whole calling Peter the rock, uh, which people tie that together to lead to, to believe that when Jesus is sitting over on the hillside with the guys uh, across from the gates of hell, and he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. The Catholic church says, oh, he, obviously he means Peter because he called him rock uh, earlier. And maybe that's the case. Um, but I've heard other scholars talk about it in a different way and talk about when a rabbi taught, which Jesus was a rabbi, if they made a reference to something, um, it would always be something they could point to. And uh, here's some fun discipleship interestingness to follow Jesus. But um, when Jesus was having that talk, if I'm not mistaken, they were sitting across from uh, Capernaum, maybe. Uh, I'd have to relook again uh, that or um, Caesarea Philippi. I think it was Capernaum. Either way, um, <clears throat> that's the place where they held like pandemonium, uh, which was a festival where like, you know, women would go off and, you know, be sexual with women and men would go off and be sexual with goats. It's really creepy and weird. Uh, and they would like eat food sacrifice to idols and do all this debaucherous stuff. It made Vegas look like Sunday school. And, uh, and as Jesus is sitting there with his guys and he says, what we're doing here, he said, uh, I'm going to build my church on this rock and the gates of hell won't overcome it. Now, if we were to look at it like um, someone perhaps from the Near East would have looked at it back then, um, they would have um, known a couple things. One, they were sitting on a rock, literally, on, on a cliff area, and they were looking at what was referred to as the gates of hell. And so I heard a really interesting breakdown um, from someone who taught from the, the Hebrew perspective, and they said, uh, a rabbi would not teach about something they couldn't point at, right? Like a, an example, like, look over there, see this? And so they said, from that line of thinking, um, from a literal perspective, then it would have meant Jesus was saying, see, this rock that we're sitting on, the 12 of you that we're beginning this with, what we're doing and what it's going to turn into is going to be so powerful that that over there, that debauchery, that sexual deviancy, the, the craziness that's going on over there. Even that, the gates of hell, the thing that you are horrified of, even the power that you see over there won't be strong enough to overcome what we're doing on this rock right here, what we're building on this cliffside where we sit. I thought that was a really beautiful perspective. So <clears throat> things I want to point out as I get ready to land this plane this morning. Um, Jesus 
when he went and uh, was walking by and John's disciples came up to him and they said, where are you staying? He said, come, come and see. And then uh, he saw, or and then Andrew goes to his brother and says, come and see. And then Jesus sees Philip and says, come, follow me, come and see. And then Philip goes and gets Nathaniel and says, come and see. See, Jesus gave us an example of what it means to make disciples. But in order to make disciples, we have to understand what a disciple is. A disciple is a student. It's a learner. So Jesus, when he gave us the Great Commission, he didn't tell us to go out and bring salvation to the world. He did that. He brought salvation. He rescued the world from hell. What Jesus told us to do was go out and encourage people to learn who he is so that we could follow him to heaven. Let me say that again. Jesus died on the cross to rescue the world from hell. You and I can't rescue anyone from hell. We cannot participate in saving someone's soul. If we had any power to do that, including our own, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to die on the cross. And this is going to ruffle some feathers and some people will disagree. But here's the deal. If you could do it yourself, you didn't need to die. So even you going, well, when I accepted Jesus, I got saved. I would argue, no, you did not. You got saved the moment Jesus climbed on that cross and gave his life for you. That's when you got saved. Saved means protected out of the punishment. You're saved. Jesus did that. You can't help. But getting into heaven is a whole different story. Jesus called us to make learners of him. Why? So that we would follow his way. And his way is the only way to eternity in heaven with God. So how do we make disciples? Hey, come and see. Come and see. We're called to be the salt of the earth. Salt does a lot of things. It preserves, right? It preserves the word, if you're using it metaphorically like that. Salt of the earth. Uh, salt adds flavor to things, makes them more delicious. Well, if something tastes good, what do you want to do? You want to taste and see. We're called to be the light of the world. What, what does a light do? A light, a light guides you, right? Uh, a light on a lighthouse guides a ship in through a storm. A light at an airport shows a plane where to land. A flashlight guides your path. See, the purpose of light is to show you the way out of the darkness, the way through the darkness. So if Jesus is calling us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, and he says, go and make disciples, hey, show people the way. Show people the way. Show people the way. How do we do that? Well, if we're already walking on the way, if we're already walking and following Jesus, the way we do it is we say this, come and see. Come and see who he is. What does come and see look like? It doesn't just mean come to church. Hey, come over. Come over to our house. Have dinner. Hey, come on. Come into relationship. Let's spend some time together. Hey, man, let's talk about what God's doing in our lives. Do we break bread with people? Do we have conversations about what God is doing in our lives and in this world? Do we pray together with people? Jesus showed us the way. Love God, love others. That doesn't mean affirm every bad choice. I've made bad choices. If people affirm me in my sin, that isn't loving. Now they can love me in spite of disagreeing with my life choices that I've made and the mistakes that I make. And I appreciate that love regardless. So we... 
if we're going to make disciples, it means we have to make learners. And I can't make someone learn. So how do we do that? We just invite them to come and see. Come and see what Jesus said. I've had conversations with people <clears throat> about, about Christ because a lot of us Christians, we screw up and we misrepresent and we make mistakes on our journey. We do stupid stuff. I am the king of stupid stuff. <sighs> and when we make those mistakes, when we stumble, when we fall, when we behave in a way that doesn't represent God, well, it turns people off to the idea of following Jesus because they're like, how are you any different than me? How are you any different than this person over here? And in those moments, especially when we get called out for it, those are good opportunities to say, you're right. My behavior wasn't any different. That's why I'm not encouraging you to follow me. Now, I always try and remind people, as you're, when you hear the word discipleship, hey, we have a discipleship course at our church. Ask what that means. What does it mean to be a disciple? Understand. It just means to be learners, right? So our job is to invite people. I get folks who look at the Bible and they'll look at some verses out of context and see some stuff that if you read it out of context is just reads very ugly, right? There are some times in the history of, of God's people where uh, there were some ugly things that went on, uh, some ugly punishment, some ugly living. It was pretty, pretty jacked up. And there are some beautiful moments of redemption and love and grace and mercy. I would argue those are all throughout the story, right? But here's the challenge. A lot of people that are averse to the Bible, that are averse to the scriptures as a whole, uh, that are averse to, to a conversation about God or Jesus, do you know why many of them are? I can tell you why I used to be. I can't speak for everybody, but I don't think I'm alone in this. For the longest time of my life, I was not interested in hearing about God or Jesus because the people that were talking about him didn't sound like the Jesus that I now know. I saw a lot of people being loud telling me how I was going to hell for my lifestyle choices. I saw a lot of people who looked at all the tattoos and assumed uh, bad things about me. Uh, and I didn't have quite as many back then, actually. I, only, I think I only had two or three. Um, I saw people who looked at my profession back when I was a car salesman and... Um, you know, we're, we're very judgmental, assuming negative things about me. I saw, I saw as a child growing up when my first son was born, um, I, the, my aunt had called and asked if I was going to get him baptized. So, so that what if he died? I didn't want to go to hell. So I got this impression that God would throw a baby in a fire if they didn't get uh, water sprinkled on their head. I, I saw when I did get him baptized because my children's mother and I wasn't, we weren't married. Uh, I, I had a, a pastor with a great heart at my grandmother's church who said to me, um, hey, you know, uh, a lot of people in the church were opposed to baptizing my son. I'm like, I didn't really care about it either. I was only doing it because my aunt wanted it done, you know, to make my grandma happy, even though she was already passed. But I, I, I looked at it and, and literally... They, they gave this big speech at the church about how um, baptizing my son was not in any way uh, condoning the behavior that led to his birth. I was literally asked by the pastor um, if I regretted having my son out of wedlock, like if I regretted having my son. Um, and I'm like, no, and I don't think your God makes mistakes, right? So how am I going to call my child a mistake? And I tell you guys all that because... 
I mean, hey, don't get me wrong. The behavior and the action that led, like, to my son being born obviously was not in God's plan. And that's the beauty of God is that he shows grace in spite of going against his plan, in spite of making bad choices, in spite of, you know, that he gave me a beautiful son who's a great dad. And, and now I have, Dara and I have beautiful grandchildren, Christopher and Ollie. See, God shows love, grace, mercy, in spite of our choices. God did that with Jesus on the cross. As Paul says, while we were still his enemies, he sent Jesus. When we were helpless, meaning we could do nothing, he sent Jesus. See, when I read those words, I know it's not my job to save anybody. I couldn't even save myself. But as a Christian, our job is to make disciples, and that is to encourage people to get in the word and to spend time in prayer to draw closer to God. Now, the challenge is this. It's finding the balance between spending the time in the scriptures to learn about God and spending time living so that we can make disciples and help others learn about God. There's the balance. So can I encourage you this morning, friends, if, you've, if, you, if you haven't been in, in God's word in a while, get back in it. Read the book of John. Read the book of Matthew. Start there. Get back in the gospels first. Jesus is the way, period. You want to understand the Old Testament, the Tanakh, you understand the first five books, Torah, get to understand Jesus because Jesus brought those things to plain understanding. So start with John and Matthew, get to know Jesus, get in your Bible and then put your Bible down, go into the world and shine his light. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. And God believes in you. Uh, listen, if you've never made the choice, to become a learner of Jesus, a disciple. Can I encourage you to do that today? Just say, you know what? I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit, whether it's over the next week, next month, or next year, I'm going to commit to getting to know who Jesus said he was. Look at his own words. Look at the eyewitness accounts. Treat it like history, if that's just where you're starting. Just go, okay, I'm going to read about this historical Jesus of Nazareth guy. I'm not going to make any presuppositions about who he is or isn't. I'm just going to, I'm going to open up the book and get to know who he is. That's it. Start there. Read Matthew if you want to see his whole lineage. Uh, read John if you want to see it from a more, uh, John's writing is so artistic and beautiful. Uh, I think it's amazing. Matthew's is very detail-oriented. Uh, both are great places to start. Both are people who walked with Jesus. But open up your Bible. Spend some time. Get to know who Jesus is for yourself. Don't base your decision on whether or not you should become a, a disciple, a follower of Jesus uh, because of the behaviors of other Christians, including me. I just I want to give you the same words that Jesus said. Come and see. And if you are a Christ follower already, can I challenge you? Start inviting people to come and see. Listen, if this was valuable to you, would you do me a favor? Please share it. Share it so somebody else can be inspired and encouraged as well. Uh, if you've got questions, comments, drop them in the social media area, wherever you're watching this stuff, and, uh, and connect that way. Uh, last but certainly not least, I'm super, super, super excited and grateful, and I want to share with you guys um, 
that my wife and I, our new book called For This Reason, um, just launched on Amazon. And uh, I'm going to show you guys the, uh, I'm going to share my screen with you because I want to encourage y'all to go check it out. So um, it is available now on Kindle and paperback on Amazon. It's called For This Reason, uh, Living in Ephesians 5 Marriage by my wife, Dara, and I. I got to co-author this with her. It was a beautiful experience. Uh, I, I would love to ask you to go and read it. If you're part of Kindle Unlimited, you can get it for free. If you are not a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, you can get it for 99 cents uh, and, and download it and read it in the Kindle app. Uh, the Kindle app is free. If you're a paperback reader, if that's what you prefer, you can grab a paperback copy of the book. Uh, but basically, what we are wrestling with in this book is... Can God's plan be the secret to your marriage's success? This is written for folks who are just wondering, hey, can you really look at the Bible as the model for how to be married? It's 2022. Uh, what does that even mean, right? What is this the, this controversial, cringy verse about wives submitting to their husbands? What's it all about? And how, how can a husband love a wife as himself? Like, how, do, how does that coexist? How, how does somebody be submissive and somebody uh, be treating someone as themselves? Is that, is that even a real thing? And so we wrote this in a way that, uh, that I would guess that, uh, well, we've never seen a book done like this. But what we did was um, there are four sections. Okay, We broke up this little area of Ephesians 5 into four blocks. And we each wrote separately uh, on what this section, how it spoke to us. Uh, as far as what it means in relation to living it out in marriage today. And then we merged that together. So each each of these four movements has two chapters in it, one written by Dara, one written by myself. And uh, it's a great way for couples to look at this and see the difference in the way that husbands and wives process things, but how ultimately God will bring that together to strengthen a marriage. If you've got a good marriage, uh, and maybe you go, you know what? We love it. We love being married, but but man, maybe uh, maybe you've been hitting hitting a few speed bumps lately. This could be a great book for you. Maybe you've been married for a decade. Maybe you've secretly thought, oh, I don't know if I could do it anymore. Reading this book and taking a look at God's plan for marriage could be that thing that just goes, wow, uh, this changed my this changed my marriage. Uh, and that's really what we hope it will do. We hope that. Um, that our voices will be set aside and you'll hear the way that God speaks through a husband and a wife. Um, but the good thing is, if you don't like it, you can always return it to Amazon. But we'd love it if you'd take the chance to read it. So if you want to get a, get it, uh, you can get a link sent right to your phone by texting the word LOVE to 833-981-0002. And as always, standard messaging and data rates apply when you do texting. Uh, but text the word, lo word LOVE to that phone number. You will receive a link on your phone that will take you right over to Amazon so that you can download it yourself. Uh, and this helps us kind of track and see how many people were interested in checking it out. So we'd love it if you would text the word love to 833-981-0002. Uh, and that way you can uh, grab a copy of it. Like I said, it's 99 cents on Kindle, uh, paperback at $6.99. Uh, and it is Amazon Prime. So listen, I want to thank you so much for tuning in this morning. I love you guys. I appreciate you joining me for these Bible study lives during the week. And uh, no matter where you are at in your journey with Jesus, you are just one moment away from walking closer with him. So 
can I encourage you to make today that day? Uh, thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you in the next one.